0: Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the College Football 365 podcast. I'm your host, Don count Corley. I'm once again joined by both Marty Leap and Anthony Azan. Uh, it's been almost two weeks since we last talked to you guys, so today's episode is going to have some news, and we're going to finish up our spring previews uh, in a little bit of a truncated format. We're going to go over three questions we both have about the SEC and the Pac-12, those being our two final conferences. But before we break down into those, uh, two big storylines to go through this week. Um, the first one I guess we'll start with is uh, a sadder note, and that is legendary Hawaii quarterback Colt Brennan passed away earlier this week on, um, I think it was Tuesday, uh, Just It truly came out of of nowhere, uh, completely shocking. Um, One of the best quarterbacks we saw in the mid-2000s really put Hawaii football on the map there with Tommy Chang. Um, uh, Just a complete shocker. Anthony, I know you started watching college football a little bit after Cole Brennan. Uh, I started watching college football personally just around then, but Marty, I I know you're somebody who definitely was – Right in there with being a hardcore college football fan, uh, you're a little bit older than us, so you remember that time a little bit better. Uh, so I guess I'll go to you first. What what's just your memories of Colt Brennan overall, and your uh, just overall thoughts on this?
1: Um, I remember my my big memory with Colt Brennan. You know, growing up as a kid, <clears throat> I guess not really a kid, because by the time Colt Brennan took over as quarterback for Hawaii. I was into high school, but, I mean, at that age, when you're watching football, you just want to see offense. You want to see the ball slung around. You want to see points score because it's fun and exciting. And um, that, that's what Colt Brennan brought with Hawaii. Uh, I remember the year in 2007, they were undefeated in the regular season. Went to the Sugar Bowl. They got smacked around by a pretty good Georgia team. But still, that was kind of the, one of those early BCS buster teams. Your Hawaii's, your Boise State's, TCU's, schools like that back then. And yeah. that, that's my lasting memory of Colt Brennan and his time in Hawaii was just making making offense fun, making college football fun. And those Hawaii teams of the late 2000s there really kind of helped kickstart this offensive revolution that we have since seen in college football.
0: Yeah, I was just about, about to bring that up. Uh, June Jones there at Hawaii with guys like Tommy Chang and Colt Brennan, two of the most prolific passers of the last – 20 years um, really did start kind of this offensive revolution that has led to what college football is today. Uh, Anthony, what's your thoughts on uh, uh, Colt Brennan's uh, passing here?
2: Well, first of all, obviously it's a very tragic passing. He was only 37 years old. That That's way too young for anybody to pass away. Um, in terms of like like you said, I was not a college football fan at the time uh, when Colt Brennan was around. But obviously, I have heard of colt brennan. i've I've seen his highlights. I've seen him play and and um he, if, from what it sounds like, he just made, like Marty said, he made offense fun. He made college football exciting to watch, especially for a group of five teams. And he kind of made Hawaii relevant. Like he kind of put them on the map a little bit. and um, for those couple of years, I'm sure it was an exciting time to be a Hawaii football fan. Um, yeah, it, it, it's, it's a sad passing, a sad day for college football. Um, he, he's one of the uh, one of the legendary players of, of our childhood, I would say.
0: Yeah, and, and like I said at the beginning, like, for me at that time, I, I'm starting to watch college football, but I wasn't, you know, watching it uh, the way that I am now by any means. But at the same point, uh, as most kids at the time, one of my big introductions to college football was the NCAA video games. And while, and at that point, like obviously we all three of us, well, Anthony didn't grow up a Penn State fan, but me and Marty did Uh but I've always, I've always been somebody who in NCAA games always loves playing with mid-majors and playing with teams you don't usually get to see on TV and one of those teams was uh, Hawaii because I mean you grew up thinking oh how cool would it be to live in Hawaii and all that stuff so it just seemed cool but uh, by playing with Hawaii I, I got to play with Cold Brennan a ton in those video games and he uh, was just amazing to play with in those games so uh, it was certainly awesome to um, – he was awesome to play with, as were those teams. And th- that's my biggest memory of him. And then, of course, just growing up, you uh, watch highlights on YouTube and you see how special of talent he was in college football. And yeah, it is a, truly a shame of uh, that he passed away. Like you said, Anthony, way too young at 37, um, just – way too young for anybody to pass away. And uh, I read some stories online about how uh, he was in a car accident a couple of years ago that left him with a traumatic brain injury. And he just kind of hasn't been the same since. Um, and I believe I also read um, that he was uh, in a rehab center uh, prior to his death here. Um, and yeah, still, so, It certainly seems like it's been a struggle for cold brand in the last few years. And this is, uh, just unfortunately the way it, um, ended obviously. Um, but, uh, yeah, so it's a depressing way to start the show. Um, but we have to move on. And with that, uh, the PAC 12 made news today by hiring their next, um, Commissioner replacing Larry Scott, that being George Kiyofkif, uh, who is coming over from MGM uh, down there in Las Vegas. Uh, he so he had a big part in running a lot of the entertainment uh, and sports related stuff for MGM, including I believe there uh, the arena there in Las Vegas, T-Mobile Arena. Um, he also spent time with Major League Baseball and their digital. Uh, department um, so he, he has a lot of experience running big time uh, sports and entertainment related uh, industry stuff um, and I, I think this scene on paper seems like a good hire for the Pac-12 uh, he started off his uh, press conference here today talking about a lot of things but two of the big point for me was that he immediately stated that under him uh, the Pac-12 is going to be Uh, Very much pro-college football playoff expansion, which is from a Pac-12 standpoint, kind of a no-dust situation. But also that the Pac-12 is very uh, pro-name, image, and likeness. Um, So um, those obviously are two of the biggest talking points here in college football. As we had in 2021 season, I believe today Tennessee passed state legislation regarding NLI, making them the 15th state. We're getting. I also believe I saw a story a story earlier this week uh, that on a national level there is a big push uh, from uh, I don't want to say Congress, but from somebody at the national level uh, to the NCAA to get NLI legislation done this year. I don't know if you two saw anything on uh, Kiyofka today, but uh, if you did, what are your thoughts? And um, Yeah, we'll start with you, Marty.
1: Um, I think the biggest thing, if I'm a fan of a Pac-12 school or the Pac-12, I'm just happy Larry Scott's not the commissioner anymore. I mean, Larry Scott Uh, was – Widely viewed as maybe the worst commissioner in college sports. One of the worst commissioners in recent years in college sports. Um, a lot of things with TV deals and whatnot, he really screwed the Pac-12 over. And I would just be happy to have, you know, fresh blood in, in there if I'm the Pac-12. If I'm Pac-12 school, Pac-12 coach, fan, alumni, whatever it might be. Um, as for the college football playoff expansion, Like you said, Dylan for the Pac 12 makes all the sense in the world because they're what I could be wrong, but other than Oregon in the first edition of the playoff and then Washington in 2016, when you know, not to be a homer, but Penn State should have been in over Washington anyway. The Pac 12 has never made the college football playoff outside of those two times. So I I just think getting a new commissioner in there would do the Pac 12 a world of good, not just because you know that that new breath that breath of fresh air can do conferences good a lot of times, but especially because Larry Scott was just such a poor commissioner for the PAC 12. Like it, it was weird to say, but a lot of times Larry Scott almost seemed like he was the PAC 12's biggest enemy and not its biggest supporter.
0: Yeah. The PAC, the PAC 12 under Larry Scott was um it. W- I mean, from a revenue sports uh, uh look, it was a complete disaster. I mean, the Pac-12 network, um, when you compare it to the Big Ten and the SEC, was a complete disaster. Um, and perhaps now under uh, Kyivkov, um that's something that could change here in the future, but there's no promise that happens either. Um, but now that they have a guy who I think obviously has a track record of being able to maximize your digital um footprint, as he showed with MLB and uh, his success with MGM as well. the um, Pac-12 certainly is in a good spot. Some other uh, spots he hit on in his press conference today was that uh, that for the Pac-12 to be con- successful going forward, they need more success overall from their football and basketball teams. He pointed out the lack of uh, teams from the Pac-12 in championship games over the last uh, few years and how that's, uh, that needs to change for the better of the conference. Um, and, he, and he really pointed out the football and basketball uh, lack of success at a national level, but he also wants to maximize revenue. Um, I saw some people say that you can't have revenue without the success of the football and basketball programs. But if you don't have the success, but also the other way around that, the success of the program should become before the revenue. Um, So that is an interesting little conundrum there. And I'm interested to see how uh, it works out in the Pac-12's favor. But Anthony, what's your thoughts on this hiring by the Pac-12 overall?
2: Yeah, I think overall it's 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 a better hire than what they originally had. I think Marty made a lot of great points there. Um, I think he's saying all the right things right now. Um, obviously, actions speak louder than words, so we'll see what happens moving forward. I mean, all the things that he's talking about, like you said, are just kind of no duh scenarios for me. Like, of course, he's gonna want to, um, you know, support expansion of the playoffs. The Pac-12 has had what. Was Oregon the only team? No, Washington was in it once. So they've only had a couple of teams teams. in the playoffs. It's been a handful of teams in the last seven years. So, yeah, of course he's going to want to expand the playoffs to get more of his teams in there. Uh, And uh, name, image, and likeness, I mean, who's going to push against that these days? I mean, it's obviously trending in the direction of every state is going to approve the name, image, and likeness. It's probably going to be a national law that's passed at some point soon. The NCAA is going to have to do something. They're not, they, they can't just fight this anymore. They have to support it now. So yeah, he's, he's got to say all of those things. If he wants to keep his campaign going, um, he doesn't want to railroad it on day one, but yeah, uh, he's saying the right things and uh, we'll see how it goes moving forward for him.
0: I, I 100% agree with you there. Um, or, I didn't get to listen to the whole press conference, but what I heard, I mean, the dude definitely came out and knew what the Pac-12 fans, writers, and really the nation thought about the conference and Larry Scott over the last couple of years. And he really hit all those weaknesses, Made talked about how he's going to improve them. So from that standpoint, it was a complete win for the Pac-12 and for George uh, Kiyovkov, um, and but like you said Anthony actions speak louder than words you can say all these things we see college football coaches say how they're going to turn a program into a winning program they're going to compete for national championships and it just never happens because it's easier said than done uh and we'll see if that happens here under the pack 12 or if he's or kievkov is able to uh back up everything he said today uh, but that, that's something we're gonna have to find out over the next um, couple of years and not anytime soon um, well those those are really our two big news stories for the day so let's get into the sec and pac-12 or we'll start with the pac-12 we're gonna both name one thing that we want to see from the uh, or one question we have about each conference this year. It could be about an individual team or about the conference as a whole. And we'll just go through them, talk about each uh, quickly. Uh, so I guess we'll start with Marty
1: again here. Marty, what's your one big question about the Pac-12? My big question with the Pac-12, and I feel like this is the question with the Pac-12 almost every year, but is USC back? And I think there's a little more credence to it now. I mean, they went undefeated in the regular season last year. You have Keaton Slovis back at quarterback. And, you know, anytime you have a quarterback, you're going to be in position to compete for your conference, whatever it might be. This is year three now with Graham Harrell, the Shots Offense Coordinator. You know, is USC back? I, I think this is a big year for them. I think it's a big year for Clay Helton. I think USC probably needs to win at least 10 games for Helton to keep his job because of the success they had last year. So I think it's – I'm going to be curious to see USC this year. They're a team who I think they can make the college football playoff and it wouldn't shock me, or they could go five and seven and it wouldn't shock me. It's a big question mark, and I'm not always a firm believer in school X being good is good for college football. Mm. The USC being good is undoubtedly good for the Pac-12. There's no program in that conference with a higher ceiling than USC – they're the conference is only true blue blood. They need USC to be good, and that's what I'll be watching for this season.
0: Yeah, and, and I, I 100% agree that I, I'm not always a big believer as well in the whole – yeah, Team X is when they're good, it's good for college football. Um, but one of those programs is definitely USC because, I mean, when we saw USC dominate back in the day, uh, back in the day as, I mean, 15 years ago. Um, US, uh, USC and L.A. was kind of the focal point of the college football world. Um, everybody in L.A. was at USC games. I mean, one of my favorite ESPN 30 for 30s is this Trojan War or Trojan Wars. Um, and a part of it is, is talking about how during that time, people like Will Ferrell would be showing up to practices and Snoop Dogg. And I know they've always had connections to the program and they still show up at times, but I mean, those are just two names popping up. I mean, people, you were popping up at practices and games all the time. And without USC really being a consistent program in college football over the last few years, the Pac-12 has really suffered. Um, Anthony, anything, any thoughts on Marty's question there?
2: No, I mean he's right when he says you know USC, you know they are one of the true blue bloods, um uh, in the west on the west coast. Obviously Oregon has an argument there, but they don't have the history that USC does. They don't have the deep rooted connections that USC does. So yeah, no, I agree with him. Um USC, if if they're back, it, they're good for college football being good. So uh, yeah, I I agree with him and what he said there.
0: Yeah, and I also agree fully that, I mean, I could see USC being, I mean, I I think like you Marty alluded to, it's all going to come down to Keenan Slovis. If Keenan Slovis plays at the level that we think he can, which is a first-round pick-level quarterback, uh, they could win 10, 11 games and be a college football playoff contender. But also, if Slovis struggles or the defense struggles – they could win seven, eight games. and I wouldn't be surprised. Um, Anthony, what's your big question about the Pac-12 or a team in the Pac-12?
2: So my big question is not about USC, who is a traditional blue blood, but a team that is potentially on the rise in Arizona State. And mine also centers around the quarterback in in, can Jaden Daniels take the next step? Um, obviously, he had a very promising freshman year, put up big numbers, had that big upset win against Oregon. Everyone thought he was the next great college football quarterback. And next year, or the year after, obviously limited sample size with the COVID season. Um, he was on par with what he was, what he did in his first year, but there weren't any noticeable steps forward. Obviously, you can attribute that to COVID year, small sample size. But I want to see in his third year now is Jaden Daniels ready to be a superstar or is he just a consistent college football quarterback? Because if he can be a superstar and he can take that step forward, this is a really quality Arizona state team. This is not a team that has a lot of glaring holes offensively or defensively. The only knock on this team offensively, in my opinion, is that they have a really young receiving core. And if Jaden Daniels is a superstar, they can work around that very easily. So, in my opinion, if he can take that next step, this is an Arizona State team that can compete for a Pac-12 championship, and I really feel that way.
0: In the current state of the Pac-12, I fully agree. I mean, I, I think the Pac-12 right now this year is, on paper, there's not one team I feel like that is a dominant and force. USC has the talent to be that. Um, but Arizona State definitely is also one of the, one in that group of teams with Washington, Utah, Oregon um, right now that I think I wouldn't be shocked if we saw them in the Pac-12 championship game and potentially winning that game. And I agree with Jane Daniels. I think he's potentially the most intriguing player in college football this year. Um, because the talent level says that this kid should be a star on the levels of. I, I don't even know, I want to put 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 the high level way too high, but I mean, if, if he was in the SEC or even the Big Ten, uh, he would be making a lot more noise nationally, uh, and he is he's already made a lot of noise at Arizona State and. Uh, He has gotten credit for doing so But I I feel like He's just scratching the surface And if he's able to take that next step forward this year uh, The Pac-12 is in trouble Um, Marty, any thoughts on uh, Anthony's question?
1: No, I agree with everything you guys said Jaden Daniels has all the tools Needed to be a very good quarterback I mean, he's a guy who I don't think it would surprise anybody If we saw him just take off of a monster season And be a first-round pick next spring yeah. You know, I, I also go back to that Oregon game two years ago. I still remember watching that game, and just he was calm, collected. He was poised. He's making the throws. The kid has all the tools. It's just a matter of him putting it together at this point.
0: Fully agree. I, I think if he has the type of season that we expect him to have, I think we see him in New York next uh, next December.
2: The kid's got swaggered, too. Tree. I mean, when he threw the the uh the bomb to Ayuk in in uh, the end of that game in the fourth quarter, you know he uh just walks down the field struts and you know pretends to strum the guitar. I mean, the kid's got swagger in his game too. He's not afraid to have fun, and I love that in a quarterback. Some some guys love the uh, the quarterback who's just cool all the time. I like a quarterback that's got a little bit of swagger, a little bit of confidence, and I think Jade Daniels is that guy. I mean, he, even
1: if that throw itself, I still remember it. He's just like rolls out of the pocket, flicks his wrist like it's nothing, and just drops a dime right in Ayukes' hands. Like, Oh, it beautiful. So
2: good. That was the moment I fell in love with Jaden Daniels as a quarterback. So I really want to see him do well. And I think it'd be kind of cool to see somebody other than Oregon, someone other than USC, um, win the Pac-12. Um, obviously, Utah had that one really good year, but then Oregon just steamrolled them in the Pac-12 championship game. So it'd be kind of cool to see Arizona State, a team that really hasn't been around in a while at the top, uh, take over and uh, win the Pac-12 for a change.
0: Yeah, I mean the, the Pac-12 has been pretty uh, consistent in their champions over the last few years, and uh, it would be uh, it would be fun to see an Arizona State team or anybody who's not, you know, Oregon or. USC or Washington in that position. Um, My question is uh, regarding another Pac-12 contender, and that is the Oregon Ducks. I am going to be looking for, is Anthony Brown ready to be the starting quarterback at a school that has playoff, playoff, um, Goals. Aspirations. 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 Yeah, that's what I'm looking for. Obviously, Tyler Shuck has now gone to Texas Tech, um, which makes Brown the uh, favorite to be the starter. He showed a lot of promise at Boston College. He showed a lot of promise as well in the uh, Fiesta Ball last year at the end of the season. Um, but, I mean, playing 12 games – um, and, or full season for Oregon this year is a lot different than playing one game. And he, sh- I think, he also played against USC there in the Pac-12 championship game as well. But um, it's going to be a little, I think, more difficult for him to have the success he had at Boston College. Um, uh, to have that in Eugene, uh, not the Pac-12. I think is a little bit of a better conference, but I think he's going to face probably a few more better teams than he did while with the Eagles. Um, I think he has a high potential as a quarterback. I don't think he's a Heisman contender, Uh, but I don't know if he's also a playoff caliber quarterback that Oregon is going to want him to be. Um, And and we're going to find out real quick what he is as a quarterback when the Ducks face uh, Ohio State uh, week two in um, Columbus.
2: Yeah, he better, he better hope he's the guy because uh, Oregon's also got this uh, five-star true freshman right behind him named Ty Thompson. And uh, Ty Thompson absolutely tore up um, the Elite 11 last year. He uh, really established himself as one of – and he has an argument to be the best um, quarterback in the class <laughs> of 2021 coming out of high school. And he's going to be pushing for uh, playing time from day one. So if Anthony Brown is not the guy – at oregon they will not be afraid to turn to ty thompson and if he takes the job and runs with it anthony brown's going to be on the outside looking in yet again so um he better hope he's the guy this year and he's ready
1: yeah and one thing i'll be interested to watch as well there with anthony brown is i'm not 100 percent certain he really fits a joe moorhead offense um joe moorhead's offenses are built on the big play. They're built on the 30, 40, 50 yard chunk plays. I don't know if Anthony Brown has the arm strength or the accuracy for that. So that could be something to watch there with the Oregon quarterback battle as well.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. Um that I, I i really didn't even think about myself. Um yeah and I mean I agree with you Anthony as well too that uh he has t- I mean if he doesn't perform uh early and I think if he struggles there in the um, second game against Ohio State, that they may be willing to pull um, pull the leash real quick and uh, see what uh, Thompson can do. Uh, because, I mean, as a Pac 12 school, you, I mean, if Oregon's going to make the College 12 playoff this year, uh, as their aspirations are going to be. Uh, they can only afford one loss, and that's going to have to be to Ohio State, and it's going to have to be close. Um, so uh, we'll find out real quick uh, about Oregon and um, Brown. Um, I guess let's go to the SEC. I'll start off this one. And th- this is also about quarterbacks. Um, but for me, it's going to be what quarterback in the SEC takes that takes the next step forward and sets himself apart from the rest of the quarterbacks in the conference. I mean, (laughs) you look at the sec quarterbacks entering this year, um, compared to last year. I mean, you got, you, you, you don't have obviously a Mac Jones. You don't have a Kyle Trask. Um, And you don't have Tua from two years ago. You don't have um, Joe Burrow. And obviously, Joe Burrow is a guy who came out of nowhere, really, and rose to the scene. But entering this year, I mean, Matt Corral has shown promises of being a potential great quarterback. I think he's a guy who, if he has a really good season, we're talking about, could go 1-1 next year in the NFL draft uh, because of the arm talent there. Um, J.T. Daniels, I think, has a chance to be a really good quarterback, but I don't know if he has greatness in him necessary, or if Georgia will let him be that quarterback. Bryce Young, on paper, five-star quarterback, is going great talent, but I mean, it's it's not a sure thing. However, that he's going to be, um, you know. A, a great quarterback. Um, other guys, Henry Jones at Florida, really don't know what he's going to be. LSU, is it going to be Max Johnson, Miles Brennan? Uh, Tennessee, you got Harrison Bailey or Hendon Hooker from Virginia Tech. Um, and then you got like Bo Nix at Auburn who everybody thought Bo Nix was going to be the savior of that program. Take them back to the heights that they once were and he's just been kind of stagnant since his freshman year. So who's going to take that next step in the conference at quarterback, set themselves apart? Because right now there's really nobody that uh, I think is head, heads above, heads and shoulders above the other. I think they're all kind of uh, – those top five quarterbacks so are all kind of like in the same spot.
1: You know – Personally, and this is what I'm going to get into with my SEC question, I'm a big believer in JT Daniels. I have been since high school. Um, I think he and Bryce Young wind up battling it out for best quarterback in the conference this year. And But with Daniels, again, as I will get into, I think part of it is also going to hinge on what does Georgia let him do. Mm-hmm
0: absolutely absolutely i mean we've seen over the last how long has kirby smart been there now five five years four years four or five years so he's been there since 2016 yeah i mean they they've yet to show the trustworthiness in a quarterback to let the ball fly i mean and it's not because they haven't had talent i mean justin fields uh jt daniels um how am I flanking on him when I was Jake from Jake from Jacob Beeson Too they've all been on that roster, and the quarterback play has always been subpar. Um, so yeah, I, I 100% agree that, um, it's it, the biggest question about Georgia is do they let JT Daniels just kind of do his thing because the arm talent and just the talent overall, uh, is. There for Daniels, and he he has a chance to be special. But um, we have yet to see anything out of Kirby Smart that makes that makes me think at least that he's going to allow uh, Daniels to become that quarterback. Anthony,
2: yeah, it's crazy to think in the SEC this year. There's really no superstar quarterbacks right now. Obviously, guys could emerge. Uh, JT Daniels is probably at the the. the the top of the pack right now uh, because there's a lot of young players i think like you said bryce young could end up in that spot um watch out for matt corral at old miss uh the dude's just a gunslinger and he's in a lane kiffin offense he's gonna put up numbers um it'll be interesting to see if he has the pieces around him to do anything with it but i still think matt corral is a very talented quarterback who at times last year showed a lot of promise so if he could take a step forward, maybe he makes Ole Miss a little more legitimate than we expect them to be. But, yeah, I, I think when you look at this SEC class of quarterbacks, it, it starts with JT Daniels. And Georgia is historically a team that runs the ball. They're a run-first offense. I think that'll always be in their identity, especially with the running backs they always have on their roster. They always have superstars. But I think, you know, college football these days is a, is a pass-first Kind of league. And if you want to win, if, if Kirby Smart wants to win the big one, uh, he needs to unleash JT Daniels and, and let him do his thing and let him be the reason they win football games.
0: Absolutely. Can't say it better myself. Uh, Anthony, what's your question regarding the SEC?
2: So, my question this year for the SEC is about the LSU Tigers. Obviously, last year they had a very, very down year. Uh, the first question, obviously, is who is going to be the quarterback this year? Is it going to be Miles Brennan? Is it going to be Max Johnson? Obviously, TJ Finley transferred out, so the first thing first, they need to solve that quarterback situation. But there's just there's just holes uh, throughout the LSU team. Um, they need to find um, a solid running back. They've got John Emery. Uh, they've got Tyrion Davis Price, but they don't really have a, like a thousand yard rusher on that team. So they, they need to uh, find that guy that can lead the charge. Um, they need to find a new wide receiver. Um, they have a guy in Kayshawn Butte who's actually really good. He really went off in the spring game. But I think they need to find some more weapons around him, especially with the uh, guys like Terrence Marshall going off to the NFL. Jamar Chase who it out last year, but he's off to the NFL. Um Rick a- 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 Gilbert, who may or may not be coming back, is currently not on the team. So they need to find guys around Butte to pair with whoever they have at the quarterback spot. And that defense on, as a whole just has a ton of issues right now that may or may not be sorted. So not to mention they also have a new offensive and defensive coordinator. There's just a lot of, a lot of question marks with LSU at the moment. So I'm interested to see if that can all come together or if they're just going to continue to fall apart.
0: Yeah, Marty, uh, any thoughts on uh, Anthony's uh, LSU question?
1: Yeah, I think the LSU, to me, a lot of it's going to come down to quarterback play. <clears throat> I mean, you obviously you expected a drop-off after Joe Burrow did in 2019. There's a very, very legitimate argument to be made that 2019 Joe Burrow was the greatest single season in the history of college football. But it won't... The quarterback play just wasn't good enough. Now, be last year, their defense was a disaster. Just a total and complete disaster. But Bo Pelini's gone. I think they'll clean a lot of that up. But it's going to come down to quarterback play for LSU. If LSU can get good quarterback play with the rest of that roster, I have a hard time believing they don't win at least 9 or 10 games. Excuse me, With poor quarterback play. You're probably looking at another struggling year. And as crazy as it may sound, another bad year in LSU. They win eight games or less. It wouldn't be a surprise he had Orgeron ousted at the end of the season.
0: Yeah. And what is kind of even eggs on to uh, Orgeron's status is uh, that program has been, has had controversy around it since the national championship game. And I mean, there's probably already enough there if LSU wanted to fire Orgeron for it, they could. But I mean, If he has another losing season or less than eight wins, I mean, it makes the decision to fire him a lot more easier or a lot easier because you could probably then use all the uh, uh, controvert allegations and stuff um, to uh, not, not have to buy his contract out. But... I, I also fully agree that it's going to come down to the quarterback play there at LSU. I mean, outside Joe Burrow, I mean, LSU has only had... the LSU's really only had one elite quarterback in the last decade or so, and that was Joe Burrow. So, I mean, the, the cards definitely seem stacked against LSU historically here, uh, but Max Johnson did seem to have... Some some he showed some potential, I should say, towards the end of the last season. So there's some hope there for the Tigers. Um, yeah. Either have you got any last thoughts or any other thoughts on the Pac-12 or SEC?
2: Nah. Just that uh, you you brought up LSU's um, you know best quarterback of the decade. Their second best quarterback uh, in the last 15 years or so is probably Jamarcus Russell. So uh, let let that sink in for uh, any LSU fans that probably aren't listening to this.
0: I mean, are you are you disrespecting? Wait, I gotta find out. I just, I gotta find him. Or how dare you disrespect Matt Flynn?
2: Listen, Matt Flynn was yeah, so solid, Matt but Flynn... I mean, Matt Flynn was not a number one overall pick.
1: <laughs> yeah, but Jamarcus Russell never turned a good game in week seventeen. Against the backups of the Detroit Lions into a sixty million dollar contract, either—that's true. Only to promptly be benched for Russell Wilson for ever even started a game on said sixty million dollar contract.
2: That's very fair, but I feel like Jamarcus Russell back in that day with rookie contracts, his, his first contract was probably close to that anyway. Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. No. Yeah, it was. A, it was. Yo, it was a six-year, sixty-one million dollar contract. So. Boom, there we go.
1: <laughs> and he got that just from being able to throw the ball from his knees at the combine.
2: Yeah, I know. That, that's true. It's amazing what arm strength can do for you. But, of course, you need to exercise.
1: Especially whenever the Oakland Raiders have the top pick in the draft, and Al Davis and his children are morons.
2: They they really passed on Calvin Johnson, who arguably is one of the most talented wide receivers in NFL history, to take to Marcus Russell. That's pain right there. That is pain personified. And
0: then I guess before we wrap this episode up, there is one last thing to talk about, and that is the FCS National Championship game. We haven't really talked about the FCS since we had Sam Herter on before the season began, but the season is coming to a close this weekend, and the championship game is featuring none other than Dylan has no clue. Of
1: Dylan has no idea who's playing. No, the no, same. it's I know who it is. It's Sam Houston State <laughs>
0: versus South Dakota State. I was trying to figure out a way to word it, but I mean, it, we all we all thought, oh, it's going to be James Madison versus North Dakota State. But I mean, Sam Sam Houston State, I believe, went through both North Dakota State and James Madison to get to the national championship game.
1: Yeah, I, I caught some of Sam Houston State against North Dakota State one day when I was at the gym. I got the tail end of it. North Dakota State lost in, like, gut-wrenching fashion. Um, they had a third and one at, like, the Sam Houston State 15 with 40 seconds to go down by four and fumbled a snap, which led to a fourth and six in which they threw an incomplete pass. But, I mean, when you're a North Dakota State fan and you've won the title, like, you know, every year except for, like, two for the last, like, 30, you're probably okay with that. Yes. Um, going into this game, though, South Dakota State, I know it is about a three-and-a-half-point favorite. South Dakota State is the Jackrabbits, which is one of my absolute favorite mascots in all of college sports. So for that reason, I will take South Dakota State over Sam Houston State this weekend.
0: Yeah, and you should bring up North Dakota State there. Yeah, North Dakota State, uh, nine of the last ten uh, or eight of the last ten national championships and the only other national championship and national champion at that time was James Madison. Um, so this this is the first time we're going to have a national championship, national champion in FCS that's not North Dakota State or James Madison since 2010 when Eastern Washington won it. Uh, so, I mean, we talked about with the Pac-12 how it would be cool to see somebody else win it. it it's going to be cool to finally see um, not one of your tr- – not North Dakota State, basically win a national championship because you know they just need they don't need any more national championships on their shelves. It's
1: staying in the Dakotas, though, it's staying in the Dakotas. It I believe is black rabbits. Uh,
0: my I, my prediction here is that a uh, is a team will score more points than another team, and they will win the national championship. Oh, shut up! I, I hate when you do that.
2: But but no, it is um it is interesting though that um the FCS obviously has like a huge March Madness almost style tournament to it where there's a bunch of teams at the start and it boils down to the end. Um the number one team versus the number two team is the championship game. South Dakota State was the number one team in the country and Sam Houston State was the number two team in the country. So kind of funny how that worked out that You know, the two best teams in the country are, in fact, squaring off in the championship game after running through their respective um, tournament games. And both schools are looking for their first FCS national title in their school's history, which is kind of cool as well. And one of these teams will get their hands on their first FCS national championship. So that's kind of exciting, something to look forward to as well. But, um, yeah, I think it'll be a good game. I'm also going to take South Dakota State in this one, just keep it in the Dakotas. Ah, uh, keep it in the Dakota family. I think I think that's a fun concept. So, uh, yeah, let's go with South Dakota State in this one to win it all. All
0: right. Well, I'm going to be different. I'm going Sam Houston. Um, what is Sam Houston's mascot? I believe they're the Cougars. Cougars. Well, yeah. I, I usually like teams with the Cougar mascots. I'm a fan of B, not a fan of BYU, but don't mind it. Rooted for. BYU. Uh, so I'll go with uh, the Cougars of Sam Houston here. Uh, they went 9-0 this year. And like I said, they beat both North Dakota State and James Madison to get to the national championship game. Um, and if you could beat two of the, the two best programs in all of FCS football, that's enough for me. They also have um, a terrific quarterback there, Eric Schmid, um, who is the Southland Conference Player of the Year. Um, they have also the Buck Buchanan Award finalist uh, Jahari K, and they have uh, Keys Azard, one of the best um, wide receiver wide receivers in all of uh, the FCS as well. Um, offensively, I've I quickly read that they they've been dominant all year, and they've able been. Even in the playoffs, they've showed the ability to score really quickly against elite defenses. So I'm going to go with Sam Houston here to finish their perfect season and uh, take down South Dakota State.
1: So real quick here, I was wrong. They're not the Cougars. They're the Bearcats.
0: Bearcats. And their, mascot
1: is, their mascot is Sammy Bearcat. Great guy.
0: Bear, Bearcats even better because Cincinnati got robbed of a victory against Georgia in the Peach Bowl. So now Sam Houston gets to redeem all Bearcats and win a national championship.
1: One other thing I'll say on the FCS thing here, I know for a lot of reasons, primarily NFL draft, this will never happen, but I think it, it, would, be, it would be cool to see the FCS permanently move to the spring. Um, it was fun to have it. It gave them a lot more... TV time and exposure than they normally would have ever had, but like I said, for a lot of reasons, mainly the NFL draft. I understand that will never happen, and I understand why it won't happen.
0: Yeah, I, I don't, I don't think a spring like a true spring season like we had this year will ever happen. But I do wonder if maybe you move the season back just a few weeks from the start of the regular college football season, so there's not as much overlay and. Uh, I mean, even if you start the FCC, FCS season in October and then it ends in February, I don't know. Uh, I I think it would be cool if it didn't overlap as much so FCS could get more eyes on it. Um, but like you said, for multiple reasons, it will never happen. Um, I didn't take advantage of the FCC, FCS season being in the spring as much as I probably could have. Uh, but from what I did see, it was fun to have. Uh, Anthony uh, any closing thoughts on the FCS
2: yeah I thought it was um, I, I thought it was kind of cool to have them playing in the spring it, it was different um, kind of like you I really didn't take advantage of it as much as I thought I would um, I think it definitely gave them some more exposure uh, which is which is great for the FCS because they do have quality football um, it, it's literally just a, a small step below the FBS Um I don't, like you said, I don't think they'll ever switch full time to the spring. There's just too many complications with that. I don't think the players would be on board with that because football was meant to be played in the fall. Um, it, it's not meant to be played in the spring. I could see them trying to do something in the spring to draw more eyes to them, whether that's like scrimmages or something. That'd be kind of cool. But. I expect them to move back to the fall and it won't even be a discussion of even pushing back the season a little bit to get more eyes on them.
0: Agreed. Either you have any uh, other college football thoughts before we wrap up today?
1: I I don't think so. You know, we're uh, closing in on June. So that means official visits start up again. That means season's right around the corner and all that's exciting. And it's just kind of the, uh, the, the waiting period between now and then.
2: Yes. Recruiting is where I shine on these podcasts. I mean, I, I I'm always, I'm always great, but recruiting is where I really take off. So I'm so excited uh, for June official visits to pop up. It's really dead right now with recruiting, but we're going to get a flurry of commitments coming in in June and July. So that's going to be really fun to cover. And I'm uh, really fun to talk about Lord.
0: Yep. <laughs> All right. Uh, any other thoughts before we wrap this up? Then.
2: Um,
1: no, I don't think so. I just think with college football as a whole, you know, it's just it's good to see that right now it looks like, you know, all all signs point toward a pretty normal, full steam ahead season. And after last year, I think that's something everybody will be very happy to see.
0: Absolutely, it seems across the board we're all preparing for full stadiums come. September so uh, I mean I know I'm just getting excited for the D of having full stadiums across baseball in a couple months a week so uh, I'm excited
2: absolutely it's exciting times right now I'm excited to see full stadiums in the fall and we're definitely trending that way
0: alright well until, the, until next time I guess we'll wrap it up here thanks everybody for listening to the College Football 365 podcast follow us on Twitter at college fb underscore 365 you could also find all our individual twitter handles on there as well uh be sure to subscribe to the podcast like like the podcast do all that fun stuff that we always like to say um and yeah we'll talk to you guys next time have a good one